Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Bettigetto, Thomas Party, Mortadella, ancora Serie A, ancora Serie A del Gunners, Party Atalek, Thomas Humarrer, Wassalati La Sacca! Chalassa Bocaio! This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right, thank you very much. Had a fairly quiet weekend, all things considered, but, you know, storms and high winds and rains and all that kind of stuff don't really lend themselves to much outdoor activity, unless you're big into kites or surfing mm-hmm. or surfing with kites if you, unless you wish to become a kite essentially yes but you're safe i'm safe yes hope everyone out home is safe hope so hope so and three points in the bag yes three very 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 nice points indeed. Very important points. And uh, look, at there's a lot to discuss, I think, because um, when we talk about what happened this weekend with Arsenal, last weekend, we had a very good weekend last weekend and we didn't play. Mm. And this weekend, we played and had a good win. But the sense is the weekend as a whole wasn't as good for us, given some of the other stuff that went on, you know, some of the I other results. those other teams were allowed to win, Andrew. I'm very annoyed about that. I ha- permitted to happen. I have to say, I was very, very unhappy with the um, Manchester City result. Mm. Very unhappy. Let's call it that. The Manchester City result. The Manchester City the result. Did you, did you see the interview with Pep Guardiola last week where he talked about how they have to be so handsome? And he said they have to be... <laughs> so sexy, <laughs> so sexy. Yeah, you know no. what they were about as sexy as? Like if you went and got some lingerie and put it on a a manatee, that's how sexy they were. Right. Which is only sexy, sexy if if you're <laughs> if you're another manatee, I suppose. Uh, I sure. apologize yeah, to yeah, all yeah, our no, yeah, our yeah. manatee listeners out there who are going, Hey, wait a minute. You don't you don't diss our sexy manatee ladies, but I mean, this was not sexy at all. What is their fucking problem? How did they do this to us? Man City, it's like you have to you have to put aside all the disdain you have for Manchester City in the first place and go, Oh god, well I mean, obviously I want them to win this game. And then they don't. It's like it's like being kicked in the balls. 
and in the circumstances as well. I mean, it's mm. crazy, crazy to to lose from getting that last uh, gas penalty. Yeah. But anyway, hey ho, we did our job, right? That's the only thing we can do, isn't it? That is the only thing that is in our control is what we do. And look, other teams are going to win games. They're going to score goals. They're going to get points, which I think is, I have to say, I think it's a bit unfair, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think it's right. No. You know, it feels like it's part of this conspiracy. <laughs> it's a vast conspiracy at this stage, let me tell you. And we'll yeah. be talking about All some of that. All the other teams are in on it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, think you're, I think, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, the other teams are going to get points sometimes. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird as well how... When we got to the winter break, I think all the conversation sort of in the Arsenal um, diaspora was about how this is it now, the home straight. Mm. It's a really simple task. It, you know, we've just got to win. And then it was like something mad, like 17 games or something. And like, there are still so many games. I know that it's a straight line and a clear path, but yeah, yeah. there are going to be twists and turns, right? Undoubtedly. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think you asked me last week about the the stats saying that we're now 52.8% most yeah, well, likely, whatever. I don't know. I don't know, 52.83? I, I couldn't tell you. But yeah, I mean, I think the idea that we are the favourites for the top four is misplaced, to be perfectly frank. I wrote mm. about this today on the blog. I think we've got a very good chance. I think we've got a very clear task ahead of us. But I look at, you know, some of the other contenders, in particular Manchester United, whose dysfunctions are offset by their incredible array of attacking talent, which goes a long way to, you know, um, coping with Harry Maguire and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we talk about the games in hand, but the games in hand that we have are Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester, no, uh, Tottenham. Right, mm. so the, it's, if we had three games in hand and they were Norwich, Watford, and somebody else, I'd be like, Ooh, you know, maybe. But those are three big games, and I'm not trying to downplay anything. I, I feel happy about where we are and encouraged by what we're doing, but I do think there is perhaps. Um, I, I just don't buy into the idea that we are absolutely the favourites for this, even if when you look at the points and what we could do if we win our games in hand. It is it is in our hands, but we're holding a very slippy thing in our hands. It's not a it's not a, a simple task by any means. No, I think it's really hard to call, to be honest. I think there are a number of contenders. I do think that it you know if you if you think about since the very start of the season, those opening three games that we lost, I do think that since that point we have made the most coherent case i know there have been hiccups and slips and drop points but i do think generally our trajectory has been the most consistent of those teams but i accept that you know if spurs and united put together mm. a streak of results they're both going to be difficult to stop they've both got a lot of talent in the squad and they're more experienced than us and blah 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 i, I i'm with you i don't think we're we can call ourselves favorites but I think we've got a good case. Yeah. And I think it's going to be super tight. I honestly do. I think it could be a point or two in it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really hard to call. But, I mean, all, all we can do is win our games and hope that others slip up. And yeah. we managed to do that on Saturday. So that was the important thing. It was. It was. And I, I really do think that when we 
look at fixtures and look at the fixture list, we do ourselves a favor just to look at the next game, then the game. You know, it, it, it is classic one game at a time territory. And I know it's a cliche and everything else, but, but that's what it is for us. You know, there's no there's no other way to look at it. I don't think we should be looking ahead too far. Just concentrate on on the next, uh, you know, cup final that we have to play, as people have been saying. So we did what we needed to do against Brentford. And I think, although there were some things that didn't quite go as well as they might have, I think we did it really well. I think we did it um, with control, the kind of control that... I find personally, I find the kind of control we had over the game for the 90 minutes, basically, really, really promising, really promising, um, because this has been a team that can do things in fits and starts. It can do things for certain periods in games. And there always seems to have been a, an element of ebb and flow. And that's natural in football. But I can't remember a performance quite as dominant and controlled as this one and you can put it down to the opposition all you like and that's fair enough if you want to say it's only Brentford etc etc but you still have to go out there and do it and you know to go through the first period without a goal was worrying but there were encouraging signs from the kind of football that we were playing and there were opportunities there were moments where I think with better decision making you know we would have been ahead at the break yeah I think that it was incredibly controlled I mean I was watching on a stream, and I, f I forgive me, I'm not sure who the commentator was, but they kept saying, well, in the first half this was, Brentford, are, they're offering a threat on the break. And, and I was sort of watching it thinking, are they? Yeah. Like, I, I really felt like Arsenal absolutely had this game in their hands and deserve some credit for that. I think it, it was a, a really controlled performance, quite a mature performance, really, especially given the age of the side. And... Yes, they didn't get the goal in that first half, but I really think that was pretty much the only thing missing from the performance. And I wasn't especially worried just because I feel like if you continue to, you know, exert pressure, create chances, that will come. I think we had 16 shots, didn't we, in the yeah. first half? You know, if you maintain that kind of pressure, nine times out of 10, mm. you are going to get the breakthrough. And, and Arsenal, you know, they, they put Brentford under that strain and, obviously, in the second half. I think they did things a little bit differently in the second half, which helped them get there. But they probably should have been ahead by half-time. You know, given some of the situations they arrived in in the final third, I think I'd agree with you. Better decision-making, better execution. Mm. They might have made more of it. They were, yeah. We were talking at half-time, and we might come back to that about whether or not we were, you know, how what the level of worry was. Because, you know, when you play a game like this and it's not too long after the game against Burnley and it's nil-nil and you're dominant mm -hmm. and you're on top and you're throwing in lots of crosses and they're dealing with them, you know, it is easy to get some flashbacks in that regard. But I think we should talk about a few of the things that happened in the in the first half. Um, there was goal disallowed for offside, which at the time I didn't really understand because to me it looked like Lacazette was behind the ball when it was played, but it was Granit Xhaka that was given offside in the build-up. Yeah. I don't want to turn this into a thing about referees, but we're going to have to talk about referees a little bit. Um, I wonder what we're ever going to have to do to get a penalty. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think at least two of them were penalties. I think the foul on Lacazette was a penalty. I can't say for sure about the one on Ben White because I haven't seen it well enough and I haven't seen any replays, but from the replay we did see of the Lacazette one, it looks to me like he's taken out studs 
on the ankle, in the box, nowhere near the ball. That is a penalty for me. And also the handball, which I think is absolutely stone-cold penalty. Um, The guy slides in, his arm is in the air, it moves towards the ball, the arm blocks the shot by Cedric. I don't know what else you need to give a penalty um, in a situation like that. Uh, So that, those decisions on top of our inability to find a way through were worrying me quite a lot because it felt like, oh, could this be one of those days where it doesn't really go our way? Yeah, I guess that's always going to be a bit nervy, right, waiting for the breakthrough. And I, and I don't mm. think the officiating helped. I, I agree with you on the Cedric one. I thought that was absolutely a penalty. When it went to VAR, I kind of was like, in my mind, it was already given. I didn't see another possible outcome there. Um, maybe I was naive as an Arsenal fan. Yeah, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I, honestly, because, I, you know, it was yeah. sort of so evidently a handball. Um, and, and you know, I, I'm often sort of sympathetic to defenders in those situations, but I just couldn't see a way around that one. No, me neither. Um, it was unbelievable. But there you go, uh, and I, I think you might be right about the Lacazette one. Uh, the white one, I'm not. I'm less clear. I mean, again, it seems like we see even less replays of these incidents than we do that maybe was, with certain others. That was weird, wasn't it? That was yeah. weird. Like because you often see um, countless replays of incidents. Now, I think it was maybe the passage of play because it was weird because the two incidents happened very quickly together. They were checking them, play continued for a while, and then we had the offside goal, and it all happened before the two VAR checks were completed, as far as we were aware. So it was a little bit difficult to show replays, but as and when the game had stopped, to not see, you know, the back-and-forward replays that they um, that they were looking at, it, it is a bit odd. Maybe it was just that passage of play, but again, it's sort of feeding into my my exhausted brain like referees are exhausting me officials and and decisions are really making me tired this season Uh, and we'll come back to that again uh, at a later point in the podcast because we have a good question about something else that happened this weekend but you know it was odd it was odd it was odd and 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 actually you know in these games where you are the ones doing all the running and doing all the attacking Oftentimes it is a penalty that provides the breakthrough, yeah. you know, because the pressure tells, the strain tells, and there's a defensive slip, a defensive error, and that kind of opens the floodgates or at least gives you something to show for all that control. Um, and, and, and you know, Arsenal, I think, were right to feel aggrieved, particularly in that first half with some of the officiating. I, I was... The sheer weight of kind of penalty appeals that didn't go in Arsenal's direction, even if you only think each one was only... 50% a penalty. There yeah. were four or something like that. Yeah, because there was you know, a Pepe think, one in the second half, wasn't there? You know. Yeah, I mean, you'd think law of averages. I, personally, I didn't think that Pepe one was a penalty. I, I didn't think that was a foul. But uh, law of averages, you'd expect something to go in your favour, and it just didn't. No, it didn't, and it doesn't, and it hasn't, and uh, it probably won't, which is another part well, of why I find <laughs> this idea that we're favourites for the top four um, a little bit... Um, challenging, you know, because I think you need decisions to go your way and we don't get any. We just do not get any decisions. And that's not to, again, not to cry conspiracy or anything like that, but the the decisions that other teams get, we don't get 
and the decisions that are given against us, other teams don't get them given against us. And that is, I think that's just a reality at this point. That is part of the reality that we have to contend with as Arsenal fans between now and the end of this season. If it changes, and maybe it will change at some point next season, sometime in the future, I don't know. But I don't hold out any hope whatsoever that we will get a generous decision, a fortunate penalty, the rub of the green, the benefit of the doubt, none of it. None Mm. of it. And I I think that's part and parcel of what makes this push for a top four uh, challenging. Not all of it. There are other factors as well, and and we might come to those in a little while. So look, halftime, we were having the chats on WhatsApp about what was going on, a bit worried. Then Emil Smith-Rowe did the Emil Smith-Rowe thing. And, um, you know, to have him back in the team was was fantastic. Uh, he looks like, um, I'm not going to say the break did him good because he'd rather he was playing, but I think for a while he was playing with an injury or certainly affected by uh, a niggle or whatever it was. Um, and he looks fitter now. I don't know that he's quite there for 90 minutes yet, having missed quite a bit of football. But... And his teeth have come on leaps and bounds, by the way. I, I, I think I think he, he's got Gabrielle's teeth. Has anyone checked Gabrielle's teeth? Is he, <laughs> is he going around with like uh, some he's borrowed, them. he's borrowed them for a while because he's, he knows he's going to have to do a lot of interviews on TV afterwards because he's going to score lots of goals. So he's just borrowed Gabrielle's teeth. Mm. It's like, uh, <laughs> you, know, the, um, you know, the episode of The Simpsons where the turtle steals Grandpa Simpson's teeth? Ah, uh, yes. It's a bit Very like, like that. that. It's a bit like that. Anyway, look, what a season he's having uh, when it comes to end product, when it comes to scoring goals, and boy, oh boy, do we need it because, you know, we've got issues in this team with regards goals. But but this is a guy who hasn't just taken a step forward this season, but an absolute leap is one, one small step for mankind, one giant leap for Emile Smith-Rowe. Yeah, is that double figures now? For goals yeah, 10 for goals. Um, I think, is he sort of the youngest player since Cesc Fabregas to achieve that at Arsenal? Yes. Something like the that. The youngest academy graduate to reach double figures since Cesc Fabregas, which is, they're pretty, uh, pretty nice footsteps to follow in, no? Not too shabby. And I think, obviously, the timing of this goal is critical and so important yeah, I mean, really know, we're, is, yeah. We're, we're talking about this as kind of a comfortable controlled win I think had we waited another 20 minutes for that goal uh, I'm not sure we'd be talking about it in quite the same way mm. and he provided that and it was um, a brilliant goal I, I think the key to this was Arsenal realising look we've got to try and get Smithrow and Saka on the ball earlier one on one that's where they're so dangerous. That's really the secret of our attacking play. Um, and this was a great example of what happens when you do that. And I, I have to say, I loved the finish as well. I, I think he said in the post-match interview, he thought the keeper might get to it, but it was almost like a kind of lawn bowls shot mm. where he sort of rolled it into the bottom corner. Uh, I think he did himself some discredit there. I think that's a difficult shot to save just because of no backlift and the way in which he kind of spins it along the ground into yeah. the far corner. Brilliant goal. Oh, it really is. And when you look at where he picked it up as well, I mean, the pass from Lacazette is from inside our half, more or less, yeah. or just inside their half, and he picks it up in that inside left half space. I mean, he's a good, what, 50 yards from goal and uses the run of Kieran Tierney really well, 
Tierney's overlap is great. Um, I think the keeper is probably a bit unsighted by his defender as well. Uh, and it's through a through a sea of legs into the bottom corner and, and the perfect time to score um, in a game like this because I think if you go another 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the second half and you don't get that goal, it starts to become a bit more nervy. I think it weighs on your mind as a team, you know, mm. particularly after what happened against Burnley. So it really was brilliant timing. crystallizes, do you know what I mean? Yeah. In that instance as well. Like I think any adventure, which was relatively lacking in their play anyway, would have evaporated and yeah. they would have just sat in and made it very, very difficult. So to kind of break the game open with that goal, it was a brilliant piece of individual skill, a massive uh, contribution and a reminder, I guess, of what, Smith Rowe brings to the team because it's quite a long time, I think, since he started a league game for us. Well, you say that, but um, uh, we had a lot of people uh, onto us after we talked about Smith Rowe and um, talked about. Uh, oh, we were wrong about. Something. We were I, wrong. I find that hard to believe. I actually. know, I know, but just um, to to set the record straight. He did start against Burnley <laughs> in the nil-nil. Yeah, he did. Um, somehow we completely and utterly um, wiped that uh, piece of information from our minds. So he did start against Burnley, but um, didn't finish the game. He was taken off and Eddie Nketiah replaced him. Um, mm. So, yeah, but look, it, it is. And, and the, the the burden that lies on his shoulders and that of Bakayo Saka is, is a pretty big one, you know, because... Um, we we do have an issue at centre forward when it comes to goal scoring. There's no two ways about that, you know. Um, there were we talk about decisions, and um, there was one in the first half when Lacazette had Saka one side of him, Smithrow the other side, and he pulled a shot well wide. That was that was the wrong decision. There was another one, Martin Odegaard, uh, with his right foot should have taken a shot and mm. played it to Bagayo Saka. There was one later in the game as well when Odegaard could have um, squared it to Pepe, I think, for probably a tap-in. But again, it was on his right foot. He took it inside, had a shot, the keeper made a save. But I think a right-footed... Um, not a right-footed player, but if Odegaard trusted his right foot a little bit more in those um, positions, we might have more threat. And I'm not saying this to be critical of him because I think he was absolutely fantastic. I think Odegaard is really, really growing into this team and the he can see that he feels um, the responsibility in a way in terms of how he plays. That, that first half, um, the dummy, where he pretended to kick it, I mean, yeah. this, this is a guy who's really, really feeling at home at Arsenal right now. But when we're looking at these moments, and I think and hope that when they have their video sessions this week, these are a couple of things that will come into play. Um, I know in the split second, it's not always easy to make the right decision, but you could look at those as teachable moments. And for me, they're encouraging in a way, even though we didn't make as much as we should have from those situations. I think if we can learn that there are options there for you. I mean, Pepe was there for a tap-in. Saka and Smith-Rowe were outside Lacazette for what I would consider relatively good chances, in fact, very good chances, to score a goal. The Saka, the Odegaard shot maybe wasn't quite as clear-cut as it looks um, at first view. But these are moments where we've, we've, we haven't had enough of those in the way that we play in, when we come to breakdown teams. So the fact that we're... 
we're sort of there or thereabouts with these moments, I think is another positive aspect to the way that we played against Brentford, that they were there, we could have done better, and in other games, we just haven't had those, if you know what I mean. No, absolutely, and we could have made more of those opportunities. Set pieces is another area we could have made more of, you know, yeah. we won a lot of corners in the game and, and didn't really threaten from them as much as we have. You know, it has been an area of improvement, um, yeah. I think, this season. We talked about that, didn't we? That that um, I think I said to you that I was surprised that we didn't go short with any mm. of them. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of short corners in the world, but I think every single corner we took, we just whipped it in. Cedric from one side, Saka or Odegaard from the other side. Um and I was expecting maybe just a little bit more variety, particularly after the first few where we didn't really um, threaten from those set pieces. And I just wondered if we might have done something a little bit different or if the tactics for set pieces in this game were very much tailored to to Brentford. I don't know. I mean, I would imagine there are different plans in place for different teams based on how they set up. So I, I wonder if maybe there was something about the way Brentford set themselves up from corners that meant, you know, our, our tactic for this particular game was to just whip it in and see. Maybe. I mean, I might be wrong because I've already demonstrated a, a complete capacity to entirely forget if ML Smith-Rose actually played a football match for us. But I feel like we haven't done many short corners generally in recent weeks um, and that we've really favoured that kind of direct delivery and and again with mm. a sort of fair degree of success I mean we scored uh, against Wolves I, I believe from a, a set piece um, but yeah I think as the game wore on I would have liked to see more variety too I mean Brentford are a tall side they really pack their own penalty area and there were occasions I thought if we go short here mm. if we move them around it might open an angle we never deviated from our plan. Um, just on the sort of shots, decision-making thing, yeah. I have a slightly different view of the Odegaard one where he had the possible pass to Pepe in that I, I was quite sort of happy to see him take the shot on. I, I just wanted it to be a bit more emphatic. Um, yeah. And, and I, I do have this sort of... So around this subject of sort of goals and where do goals come from? Do we have enough goal scorers? Like I have no real concerns about our wide players. You know, Smith Rowe, Saka will get to his goal imminently, I'm sure. Um, Martinelli. Uh, I do think in central areas is the bigger concern. And actually, we've spoken about Lacazette many times. In some ways, it's sort of not worth relitigating. We all know what we've got, I think, in Lacazette and what we haven't got. Um, but I think... What's really interesting to me is Odegaard. You know, is Odegaard ever going to be a goal scorer? Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that. And I think if he's not, then I think that really means that you kind of have to demand that from your long-term centre-forward. I don't think you can have your number 10 and your number 9 both be facilitators but not finishers. I think one of them has got to be someone you can rely on to put the ball in the net. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm if if Odegaard can do that, great. But if he can't, if that's not who he's going to be, I still think he can have an important role in the team. But I just think it makes it all the more essential you get a proper goal scorer in front yeah. of him. I, I, I think this is a really interesting aspect to how we think about the team from now on. I mean, Odegaard has got four goals this season, same as Martinelli. Um you know, one less than Lacazette. Mar uh, uh, Lacazette has got three goals in in the Premier League. Um, I 
yeah, I think Odegaard's four goals are all in the Premier League, are they? Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah. You know, so if we are thinking about where the goals come from and we do have a um, a lightness at centre forward, I wonder is that something that we'll have to talk about? I do have a question about this, though, so I want to keep it for, for the second half, if you don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Odegaard is capable of better. Uh, or more when it comes to goal scoring. I think he can score goals. Absolutely he can. And I think he will score some more goals between now and, and the end of the season. Um, you know, the point you make about the the chance that he took on, fair enough. I absolutely think he had a, a right to do that. But when you eschew the, the square ball to give a guy a tap in, you have to be more emphatic. You, For sure. you know, it wasn't yeah. the best effort that he's ever had on goal. I think it was a decent save from the goalkeeper, but I don't think it was a particularly difficult save for the goalkeeper. So, again, it comes back to these um, these teachable moments that we can use from these games. Saka's goal, I mean, yeah. I think this is a really interesting uh, goal to look at when we think about our, our centre forward. Because when the ball breaks down... When the ball uh, comes to Partey in midfield, um, the obvious pass, as he's striding forward with it, if you have a centre forward who is, let's say, uh, quicker than Lacazette, right? Mm. If you look at the positioning of the players, the ball is quick ball into the path of the centre forward who can drive on and drive into the box and score the goal. But Lacazette doesn't have that pace, doesn't have that acceleration to get in there. So I think it was quite interesting that Partey probably knew that, took it on and then played it out to, to Saka on the left-hand side. It's um, Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, there is a sort of moment, isn't there, where Partey sort of strides into the centre circle and... Yeah. Um, Without being too simplistic, if it's Thierry Henry in front of him, he's probably hitting that exactly. early and, exactly. and, and yeah. racing through. But, you know, I do think on the other side of the coin, there is something to be said for the fact that it's Lacazette who, I mean, he doesn't do a great deal, but he is involved in that collision in the middle sure. of the park, in the deeper area that enables us to create that breakaway. I do think sometimes with Lacazette, we, we look at him being deep, and we think it's sort of we talk about it like it's a uh, how can I put, what's the what the word a defect rather than a feature, and I I think that like everything like I said does in that move is partly what creates Saka that space too. Yeah 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 um, yeah. No I I I agree, I agree. I just think that when we're looking at bigger picture and when we're thinking about top four and when we're thinking about the goals that we're going to need to get uh, the points that we need. I'm not sure we can always focus on what Lacazette does when he drops deep. I think we we have to also demand more from him as a centre forward. And I mm. think I'm sure he uh, is aware of that himself. He's a centre forward who doesn't score enough goals. He knows that. He knows what his job is when it comes to the final third. I'm sure Mikel Arteta and the coaching staff do as well. So mm. I just wonder sometimes if when we talk about Lacazette and the focus is on some of the good stuff that he does and you, you're right, you know, he plays a part in that goal and he does drag one of the, the defenders away which gives Saka the chance to shoot and I mean, it's not an easy shot by any chance. It's, it's a not, great it's, finish. It's an unbelievable yeah. finish. The way it cracks in off the post is is just brilliant with little or no backlift and, and all the rest of it. Um, but I think we, we also have to 
demand more from the player who's in that position, whether it's Lacazette or anybody else. Yeah, I think that's true. I just think I saw a lot of criticism of Lacazette after this game. And, and I think I, I sort of just feel a bit like uh, it, it's sort of it, some of it feels a bit redundant to me in that it's kind of like, well, yeah, he's, you know, he's not Thierry Henry. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, he's miles from that. Yeah, but does, and, does anyone want him to be Thierry Henry? It's not so much that you want him to be Thierry Henry. It's you want, you know, a guy who's 30 years of age. He's far from, you know, past is uh, best when you look at some of the guys who are still scoring goals in the Premier League and elsewhere. You know, you, you just need a bit more. Um, and I realise that this discussion, like he, he didn't play for half a season, basically, and has only come into the team in the last three months. But in three months, he hasn't really scored enough goals. So I don't know that it's like, it doesn't have to be, well, we need him to be Thierry Henry. We just need him to be like a fairly average goal scorer. And I think at the moment, he's below that, even if there are aspects to his game which are useful when it comes to our wide players being as effective as they are. Yeah, that is true. I just think that there's also... You know, he's, he's, he's Granite Xhaka's toe away from having a goal in this game. And he's had three shots in this game. I mean, there was a big problem for a long time with him not getting any shots. He had three in this game. He had four at Wolves. He got into much better goal-scoring positions against Wolves than we're accustomed to. I think there are positive indicators in performance there mm. if you want to look for them. Of course, the, the goals aren't coming and that is the most important thing and I I desperately hope they do I just sort of feel a bit like we could I'm a bit worried that we could talk every game about how Lacazette isn't the guy but he is the guy between now and the end of the season well maybe that's a question for debate yeah maybe that's yeah maybe we'll have that question in the second part I I know I know what you're saying I don't think the I don't think the discussion about um his status in the squad for these next few months, I don't really see the point in having that because it is what it is. He's yeah. the most senior striker at the club for various reasons. We all know that. We don't need to go over them again and again. But I do think that there comes a point where you, you have to have a conversation about the end product. We will maybe have that conversation in, in part two. But let's focus on Saka and that finish and you know what a contribution he made and what a contribution... These two guys, uh, 20 years of age, Hayland graduates, have made to this game and to this team over the course of, of the season. I know we've said this before, but, you know, if you were to go out and try and buy two 20-year-olds with this kind of talent, I mean, we would not be able to afford it. Not even close, no. And very few clubs could, mm. to be honest. Their potential is so enormous. I, I think, obviously, we love it all the more because they are Arsenal boys. They've come through our system. It means a great deal to them, pardon me, to be here. Mm. And it means a great deal to us. And this finish from Saka, you know, speaking about finishing, goal scoring, what players can add to their game, what's the next stage in Oof. their development. I, I, I really think, I mean, clearly he's got it in his locker, but when you go back and watch him in, at academy level, he's flashing in shots like this left, right and centre. He, he had such power and explosiveness in the way that he strikes the ball. Mm. And, I, and I really do think that's confidence, you know, because it's in there technically. There's no doubt at all about that. And I think it it's a great sign that he produced it um, in the first team, in the mm. Premier League, in a moment where we really needed him. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant finish. And I think um, 
I think we'll see more of that sort of goal scoring from him. I really think he's got the potential to to follow Smith Rowe's lead and and become you know one of those double figures players undoubtedly. Yeah, and the other thing just to point out about this goal is that he is involved in it quite deep. He's the guy who yep. plays the pass into midfield for for Lacazette to to hold up. Um, the Brentford guy tries to buy a foul from the referee. I'm not having any of that. There was no foul in there. So I think Lacazette did well in that regard. And then Partey takes it on. And who's overlapping on the outside? Um, but Saka and, and the finish, you know, when you look at the angle, when you look at the space between the goalkeeper and the post to find the power and the precision to stick that ball home is is just fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. and uh, Great strike. Yeah, we should be absolutely delighted about what they gave us. The late goal from Brentford. I mean, Annoying. Annoying. A bit annoying, <laughs> annoying yeah. For, anno- I always think like it takes the sheen off a little bit. It's a weird goal, actually. Quite a weird goal. They I, get lucky with a ricochet, don't they? Yeah, I think so. And I'm still not convinced it wasn't offside in some right. way. I Again, it's one of those where I was looking at the replays and just going, well, I mean, they could make any decision here and it would feel... Reasonable. I think the ball sort of hits Cedric in the head and everyone kind of stops. Ramsdale rushes out and it's 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 a bit untidy, but um, I'm sure the defenders will be annoyed to have lost their uh, clean sheet. But apart from that, it's of very little consequence. Yeah, I saw... Yeah, I'm just watching it again. I mean, I saw Ramsdale having words with the referee and he obviously will be very unhappy about his clean sheet. Um, weird. Yeah, a weird goal. A weird goal. For me, it didn't really take any of the sheen off. Um, well, maybe it took a little bit of a, the sheen off, but the important part of this game was making sure that we got three points. It really was. We had to make sure that we took the three points. It it really made the scoreline look like a close game, and mm. it wasn't. I mean, mm. that's what I think we need to focus on when we, when we look back at this particular uh, performance. Maybe you would say if we'd been better with some of our chances and decision-making, that consolation goal is even more irrelevant because it's 3-1 or 4-1 rather than 2-1, which is, you know, it is a worrying-looking scoreline. Nobody likes that as a as a scoreline at any point. But it was extremely flattering to Brentford. And, you know, there were lots of things from an Arsenal perspective to be, to be encouraged by and to be heartened by and... Even if other results didn't go our way, we had to make sure we got three points. The team played well. The crowd were up for it. Um, We had some, you know, complaints or whatever about the referees or some of the decisions. But even so, we came out on top. You know, we made sure that those decisions didn't cost us. And I think in other games this season, we've lacked the ability to, to overcome some of those poor decisions, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, the last home game was Burnley, wasn't it? As we keep yeah. saying, and um, couldn't find the breakthrough there, and we and we did here. And yeah, I thought it was a, a really positive day. The crowd seemed in really good spirits. Um, the team looked fresh. They looked energetic. They had a decent rest, hadn't they, going into it? I suppose. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a really positive day. I, as well, just as a side note, I was pleased to see Nicola Pepe coming on yeah. and be involved, look dangerous. Like you said, a couple of moments in around the penalty box where he offered a threat. I think that's going to be important. So 
that was another thing that I liked. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Arteta spoke about him before the game and talked mm. about how in the second half of the what season... What did you make of those quotes? He was very sort of effusive about him. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me a little bit of when Arteta earlier in the season spoke really glowingly about Aubameyang, about how hard he was working and we were seeing a different Aubameyang and he said something similar about Pepe. We're seeing a different Pepe now. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's going to end the same way, but, um, you know, I think he is, I think he is someone who puts a lot of stock in your commitment to the work, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he's seeing a bit more of that from Pepe. I'm not. I'm not sure. But you know, it 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 is a bench when you look at it that is pretty light on goals. So sure, yeah. talking up Pepe and maybe giving him some confidence and and everything else just seems like a sensible thing to do, even if maybe there are some. Um, incompatibilities or, or long-term doubts about his future, making sure that he's up for it in this last part of the season just seems sensible. Yeah, and I'm glad he's sort of... Exactly, I'm glad Arteta's sort of saying the right things. You know, what you don't want to be hearing at that point is, well, you know, Nicola's got a lot to prove and yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we'll see how he works on the training ground. You know, we're going to need him between yeah. now and May, undoubtedly, and... I think one thing that will be interesting, I mean, we've not spoken about um, Premier Aubameyang. Why would we? He's not an Arsenal player anymore, but got his uh, hat-trick for Barcelona yesterday on his mm. first start. But it'll be interesting. I mean, in losing Aubameyang, Arteta's kind of broken up a little dressing room group, really, with Lacazette and Pepe. And True. Who knows? Who knows how that might influence perception of Pepe or influence Pepe's behaviour? I mean, it's complete speculation on my part, but... Um, maybe that will have some benefit. We shall see. We shall. 15 games to go in this Premier League season. We've got Wolves coming up on Thursday, so... Just the 15. Just the 15. 15 wins, 25 points. <laughs> Simple. It's really easy. Big game coming up on Thursday, Wolves. I mean, yeah. they got a good result again at the weekend. Um, this new trend of teams around us winning, that can absolutely get in the bin. Yeah. Um Telling you, it's but you know, a, a little bit spicy, maybe Wolves as well after some of that celebration nonsense. Yeah, the day. yeah, I think it will be, and I don't mind that because I thought Arteta's comments after the game about how he used what did he say the opening uh, game against uh, Brentford, the opening oh, day of the season, where he said he tried to transmit some of that to his players in the build up to the game. I mean. Why not? Why wouldn't you use mm. some of that? Why wouldn't you use even if it's a, even if you've kind of cultivated a little bit the sense of injustice? Why not use it? And why wouldn't you use this stuff against Wolves when you're building up to the game on Thursday? Like, well, we've got plenty of injustice to go around. For oh, our cultivation. we certainly do. We certainly do. Okay, will we leave it there for part one? I think so. Let's leave it. All there. right. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, before we start, I have to mm. give a shout out. I think we have to give a shout out to SebiV21, at SebiV21 on Twitter. Um, last week, there was a lot of talk about um, the outside of the stadium and the rap and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and people were mucking up various pictures. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. they mucked up like pictures of uh, Gunnarsaurus and all that kind of stuff. And somebody, uh, I apologize, I can't remember. Oh, it was Stuart Gill mucked up a picture of us um, outside the stadium with Goodly Morning and blah, blah, blah. I'm on one side, you're on the other side. And somehow, at Sebi V21 brought this thing to hilarious and disturbing life oh. by animating us singing I've had the time of my life the theme song from Dirty Dancing Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes you got the Bill Medley part I'm a I'm a Jennifer Warnes in this scenario mm -hmm. and it is genuinely hilarious and scary so <laughs> I've got Gabrielle's teeth in it as well he's learned to me temporarily <laughs> Um, oh, but yeah, it is. It's. I mean, the technology is astonishing and somewhat frightening. If you yeah. imagine it kind of the nth degree of this, what we could be made to do in a video. <laughs> um, but listen, it, it was great, and uh, thank you very much for that. Just on the subject of thanking listeners, I just want to say I've got my show coming up at Soho Theatre this week. Yes, and it's sold out. And wow, uh, I, I put a great deal of that down to. Arsecast listeners and other things. You know, I tweeted it, put it on Instagram, and tickets went very quickly. It's mostly so Arsecast listeners, I think. I, I, I think so. Yeah, they're going to be very disappointed when it's not just uh, an hour of magpie facts. But um, because it sold out, we have added some extra dates in March on wow. the 9th and 10th. I know. It's hubristic, Andrew. It's in a bigger room. Um, so if you... The if Albert Hall? It's the, it's the Royal Albert Hall. No, it's um, the main theatre space at Soho Theatre. SohoTheatre.com 
if you are one of the three Arsenal fans who haven't yet attended that show, um, by all means, come along. But thanks to everyone who's coming. And I look forward to seeing some of you this week. I'll be in the bar afterwards. Come and say hello. All right, cool. That sounds that sounds amazing. Congratulations on a sold-out week. And hopefully the other shows will, will sell out quickly too. Um, Just be a pathetic, damp squib. Just me and like one guy and a dog or something. I yeah. Imagine. Well, I mean, you can always break out your dirty dancing singing if you need to. There's no problem. <laughs> That's there. true. Finish with that as a rousing finale. <laughs> um, speaking of singing, by the way, yeah. I tweeted about this, but I should quickly tell my press conference shame story. Well, which... yes, you should, because uh, we have a question here. It was actually um, from uh, Beardy McBeardface at Bearded Hannon, who asked on Twitter, what other football songs do you sing to your dogs? So yeah. set the scene here for us, if you wouldn't mind, James. Well, we all love the Sacker and Smith Row song, right? Don't we? Do you know um, what I found out this weekend yeah. that I was not aware of? And like, I, I'm not saying I'm a, a musical genius or I know everything that there is to know oh, about I know what you're music. Say. It's a cover. It is a cover version. I did not realize that the status quo uh, rocking all over the world is a cover version of um, John Fogarty. Yeah. Um, I only found that out quite recently, too. I always thought it was the original status quo. Yeah. Collie Bosher on Arsblog News said, I don't wish to be pedantic. Okay, I do wish be, uh, to be pedantic. Uh, Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe are set to a song by John Fogarty, uh, ex-Credence Clearwater Revival. Status quo's version is a cover, and I never had any idea about that. So there you go. Yeah, I know. It's, but I guess status quo is the definitive version. And shout out to uh, DJ Selenki, by the way, for oh, yeah. playing it full time <laughs> yesterday, uh, on Saturday. As per Aaron Ramsdale's uh, request. Request, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think a few of the players had been kind of itching for that to happen. And it was the perfect occasion. Sure course, was. Both yeah, on yeah. the score sheet. And, and I was celebrating, as you do, by um, recording a post-match video, which I signed off with me singing to my dog, Belle. As, uh, as, you do. Smith as, you do. as you do. As you do. Um, yeah. As she demands. And um, then I logged on to the Zoom press conference uh, for Mikel Arteta. And I thought that I was on mute, but I wasn't. And I was editing the video um, at, while I was on the Zoom. So I was sort of <laughs> continually cutting and chopping this audio of me going, and unbeknownst <laughs> to me, in the Zoom, the Arsenal communications team said, hello there, could all media please ensure that they are on mute as the press conference is about to start? And uh, when I later looked at my phone, I had messages from like five journalists saying like, we can hear you, everyone can hear you singing Prince of Throw. And it, honestly, it was the most mortifying thing. And, oh and I think Mikel Arteta came in about five seconds after I finally muted myself. I think it's very possible that he was kind of stood by and they were all just waiting for me to stop singing so they could do the press conference. <laughs> I kind of hope that is what was happening. Um, but on the other side, uh, yeah, thanks to all the journalists who reached out to try and get me to save myself from this complete humiliation. But Mik uh, yeah, I can imagine Mikel, and, uh, Mikel Arteta standing there going, who is this heavenly voice I can hear? <laughs> we must have him come in and an sing angel. for the team. <laughs> you know um, what, though, James? It could have been worse. 
it could have been way worse. <laughs> Some of the things that I've said waiting for Mikel Arteta's press conferences in the past, maybe after less favourable results, I'm very glad they weren't broadcast. Oh, so, my goodness. Yes, could have been a lot worse, but still quite funny, quite embarrassing. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I'm weirdly proud of it. I'm weirdly Why proud. not? It's Why very not? on brand. Let's put it like that. It fucking surely is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's um, let's just start with, a, I think, what's going to be a relatively simple question, but people have been asking. We've got a lot of questions about this. Uh, it comes from... Bum, bum, bum. It comes from Nick Bright, who's that Nick Bright DJ, who said, did you notice when Eddie came on, Lackey gave him the armband, then he went to give it to Xhaka, who declined. Eddie then kept it until we won a corner, at which point he gave it to Tierney. And there was a lot of stuff made on TV about Xhaka not taking it. Just wondering what you thought of it. <sighs> well, I, I read a very good explanation from Kaya Kainak, who was at the game. Mm. Um, I think you maybe retweeted it, actually. I, I did. I did. I'm going to try and dig it out. Where is it? Uh, let's have a look. He gave quite a sort of reasonable... Here we go. Just catching up on the Shaka captain stuff. For clarity, Laka was trying to give the armband to Tierney, who was preparing to take a throw, but couldn't hear Laka's shout. Laka therefore gave it to Eddie to give to KT, but Eddie was told to stay in the centre-forward position by Arteta. And Ketia then tried to give it to Shaka to give to Tierney, at that point, but the throw-in was about to be taken, so Shaka told him to just hold on to it. It was not a case of Shaka refusing the responsibility at all, and a bit of a stretch to say it's a lack of commitment or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I, I mean, yes, it does make complete sense. And to be honest, if there was a bit of a reticence from Shaka, like if it hadn't been Shaka, if it had been Partey or Rob Holding or somebody else, maybe they, when Eddie gave it to them, they would have thought, I'll just sort it, I'll just put it on. But if there was a bit of self-consciousness from Shaka about doing that, I think that's kind of okay. Like, yeah. In the circumstances, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, the captaincy and Granite Xhaka have a checkered history. And if, as you say, there's some self-awareness there, you know, I, I would there have no often, problem with that. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can't there, complain. We yeah. Complain. We can't complain. I do think it was one of those things where because it was on the broadcast and because they made a thing of it, it became right. the thing that they said it was. And therefore, people I wish were they'd do that about to... our penalty appeals. Yeah, you know that I mean? would be Instead. nice, wouldn't it? That would be fucking nice. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. It is this sort of curious thing where, you know, everyone knows Shaka's, if not the captain, close to the captaincy, but, you know, he can't really wear the armband. Mm. But he has but, worn know, the armband, hasn't he? But, but he maybe has. not at home. He has. Nah, that's interesting. Maybe. I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to look that up. And I can't be asked. I, I, I don't think. Um, I certainly don't think it reflects a lack of uh, commitment, or you know. I, and I don't think it. If I don't think it got to a point of absurdity where Inketia was carrying it around for twenty <laughs> minutes. Like. is chasing Lacazette around, or yeah. uh, Jacka around the pitch. Take it, take it. And Jacka's <laughs> like, "The fuck off! I don't want it." Never seen Jacka move as fast as he did when he was running away from the captain's armband. I don't think it was that. Like I said, I think the 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 TV broadcast got one version, or they came to a conclusion about what was happening, and from there, that was the version of events that everybody 
um, was reacting to, not what actually happened. Um, yeah. So I, maybe, you know. unless maybe that's why Lacazette plays so deep. He's just trying to give Granite Shaka the armband, and he's refusing to take <laughs> it. So he's, he's following him around. Um, now, I thought Shaka uh, had a decent game. I mean, look, we, it was pointed out to us by a listener a few weeks ago the way in which his role yeah. is changing. And yeah. it's very obviously changing or changed. Uh, he's much, much, much higher up the pitch. Wasn't there um, a moment where, and it's stuck in my mind, I think it was a, yeah, it was a Ramsdale pass from inside his own box. I, I think uh, Ramsdale had a slightly iffy day with the ball at his feet uh, against mm. Brentford. There were a couple of moments where the passing was not as, as clean and um, precise as it usually is. But there was one to Xhaka where Xhaka picked it up on the basically the halfway. Uh, yeah, it must have been around halfway. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, this is so different because he would often um, step into that space, let's say, between Gabriel and Tierney and pick it up in that, like, deep third centre half role, you know? And here mm -hmm. he is picking the ball up and staying high up the pitch to receive passes. It is different. There's no two ways about it. And I think the fact that Partey is fully fit and being asked to play the deeper role means that Xhaka's uh, got a, a, a different kind of role to play, um, which is an interesting development. It is. And uh, Scott, um, I underscore that, underscore Crab, uh, did his pass network chart and it really is a, a kind of wheel with parte mm. at the hub you know and the spokes coming out of there and i think it's improved us uh doing that and i think as well it kind of lessens the reliance maybe on shaka to a certain extent you know he's just been so integral to our build-up for so long and we're moving him slightly away from that i agree ramsdale's kicking was a little bit iffy i wasn't at the ground but it was exceptionally windy weekend may mm. have been a factor um, but I thought it was better in the second half and I thought that we we started to, like I say, get our danger men into, into play quicker in the second half and that yeah. was key to us getting the breakthrough. Fair enough. Uh, um, what was the... What was I going to do? I was going to ask a question, I imagine. Yeah, why not? Why not? That's how it works. Um, it'd be good if I had one prepped. Okay, so uh, a lot of questions about... This George Buller, who's at Buller George, says, "What would be your preferred way of getting the Fab Four in the team? Mm. Martin Odegaard, Martinelli, Emil Smith Rowe, Saka, and then he suggests Martinelli at centre forward with Smith Rowe playing on the, on the off the left, or Smith Rowe as false nine with Martinelli wide." And there were some interesting quotes, weren't there, from Michael There were, Tetter. yeah, there were. Um, he said of Smith Rowe. He can play in four positions as a left winger, a left attacking midfielder, a right attacking midfielder, and he can play as a nine very, very well. Now, I don't know if he, if that was specific when he, that very, very well bit, was that specific to the nine or does he mean he can play as a left winger, left attacking midfielder, right midfielder, and he can play as a nine very, very well? Does he mean yeah, he can play very, very well? I the sound of my own singing, to be yeah. honest with you, so. Neither could anyone else, James, so that's why we're, we're in the dark here. Um, yeah, there was a similar question from Joe, who's at Red and White 11, who says, surely we've reached a point now where all of Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli and Smith Rowe have to start the games. And I sort, I, I think I agree, but I'm not quite sure the best way of doing it. Um, 
And it comes back to the Lacazette conversation that we were having in the in the first mm. half, where I do think unless he can start scoring some goals, you have to think about rejigging the system a bit. Um the only time How would you do it then? I don't I think if I if I had to get four of them in the team right now, it would be Smith Rowe left, Odegaard, Saka right, and Martinelli is the nine as the centre forward. The only but time would you go to that right now? Would you would you like you know, we've got game Thursday, would they're all available? Is that what you would pick? I wouldn't be averse to seeing it. I wouldn't okay. be averse to seeing that on Thursday against Wolves. No, I wouldn't be averse to it, but I, but equally, I don't think I'm in a hurry to go to it. Like when I hear the sort of thing of, do they all need to start? I kind of think, no. Like we're always talking about how we haven't got goals on the bench and, you know, having a substitutes bench potentially on Thursday that has, you know, Nicola Pepe plus one of Martinelli or Smith Rowe. But, yeah, I mean, that could be Lacazette, like though, as well. You know, could Lacazette be... Could he become... I'm not sure I see him as an impact sub, though, really. I mean... Well, he's done it before. I think he's he's yeah, come he on and on scored goals. And, 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 and did really well at the start you know? of the season. And I do wonder if, when you're thinking about an impact sub, is somebody who is, you know, of that kind of... He's an uncomplicated substitute, if you know what I mean. Is that you got to stick him up top and 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 get him in the penalty area and get the ball to him? Um, yeah, look, I think it's uh, I think he'll stick with Lacazette for for Thursday, to be honest. Um, but I I do feel like this is a, an area where where at some point we have to say, okay, he is bringing certain things to our game, but what we need from a centre forward is more than this, because I don't think. Smith Rowe, Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, whoever is in those wide positions, is going to score in in every game. But then I think about, and I know they're different players, and they're much more developed, and they're they're um, high quality performers. But I think about where Liverpool's goals come from, mm-hmm. um, and they do come primarily from those <laughs> from those wide forwards. It's just the burden of of responsibility on two 20-year-olds who are amazingly talented, as we've said, but are still learning and developing and, and, and everything else. Maybe they relish that. Maybe they will relish that. Um, but I just wonder if it becomes or might become a little heavy for them at times. And therefore, you need something from other areas. And uh, it was pointed out to me earlier on, Rob 101, uh, talking about goals from midfield that Manchester United have those. So it would be pretty useful if Shaq and Partey could chip in with a couple too. For sure. I, I well, unsurprisingly, I, th- I guess given what I said in part one, I would be inclined to stick with Lacazette. I just think structurally and in terms of, an, of being a known quantity, the experience he brings. I think that the the performances we're getting from our wide attackers, you know, the, the balance of an attack is quite a delicate thing. And I, I don't think we can be sure that we can take Lacazette out of that and it will function as well, personally. I mean, it might, 
and we can mm. try it. But I don't know when that game is that it becomes an appropriate gamble. Where um, where do you find the balance? It's quite a tricky one in that, like, if even if Lacazette doesn't score, and and let's say goals are coming from. Saka, Smith Rowe, yeah. Martinelli, Odegaard on a regular basis. Does it matter if Lacazette is not scoring um, as long as other people are? But if Lacazette is not scoring and other people don't score too, then we've got a big, big problem. Sure. Yeah, so I, I sort of am on the side of it doesn't really matter if he's not scoring, if I, if the team is. And I do think generally since he came into the team, we have been more threatening, created more chances, scored more goals. Um, and, and I don't think it's purely coincidence. So when I look at the way we're playing, I sort of go, well, this is kind of working. Like we're on a roll, we've got momentum, uh, we're playing good football. I don't see a pressing case to change, even if I am excited about, you know, I'm not blind to the possibilities of getting those four players on the pitch and maybe it will be better. Um, I just, I'm not dissuaded that what we're doing right now isn't uh, working. And I think there's some value in the kind of consistency of that. Mm. But, and I think as well, like this is a, a less important factor, but I think having that kind of experienced spine to the team, you know, particularly with Partey, Shaka, Lacazette in the middle of the pitch, they almost are a trio at times, the way they are positionally. Um, I think there is a value to that. But I, I guess the answer is to kind of. I guess the only the only way you're going to find out is to try it eventually. I just don't know when that mm. moment might be. Um, and I do think there's real value in in potentially having. I mean, we've seen what Smith Rowe can do off the bench. I think we've seen in the past what Martinelli can do off the bench. I mean, do you have a preference of the, who you would pick for Thursday? I mean, it's uh, it's tricky now. It is tricky. Um, I feel like I would stick with Smith Rowe on the left. Right. Because I just think he gives us more. Um, I think he just gives us more. It gives the team a bit more balance. I really like Martinelli, which is why I said I wouldn't be averse to seeing him start uh, up front on Thursday either. This is a small thing, but do you think, having given the armband to Lacazette, do you think that has any weight in this discussion? Like, having been through the trauma of, oh, we've dropped the captain, do you think there'll be any reticence to go through that again? No. Right. Like, this is not a guy who's got three or four years left on his contract. He's got, yeah, and he's, he's kind got, of ended up with it by accident, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. He's got four months left. I think... I think Arteta likes what Lacazette does. I don't think there's any two ways about that, but I just wonder if at some point we are going to have to, we're going to have to take the lack of goals into account. I mean, the ideal scenario is that Lacazette himself steps up and, and scores a few because um, like he has scored a lot of goals in his career. And this kind of run, um, I mean, I think he's capable of 
bagging a few goals between now and the end of the season. And, and uh, we're, we're going to need him to do that one way or the other, whether it's off the bench or, or something else, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But well, he, should, he should have scored against Wolves 100%. Yeah. Uh, he very nearly, as I said, mm. you know, ended up with a goal the other day. I think that he goes through runs where it just feels like he's not even going to get a shot off. Yeah, um, and I don't think he's quite in that place at the present time. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. He, yeah, you said in the first half there are like some slightly encouraging signs about his penalty box involvement, which yeah. you know, on another day, like you said, Granite Xhaka was barely offside for that one. So, by the way, speaking of penalty box involvement, I, I um, I've sort of spotted a bit of a thing with Arsenal, which is uh, even though we don't think of us ourselves as a team with many uh, elite goal-scoring players. One thing we're doing very well in the last few weeks is getting bodies in the box, actually. And uh, I saw that borne out in a chart that was doing the rounds on social media. But when we get into attacking areas, you know, we might not have a 30-goal-a-season striker, but we are getting four or five people, It oftentimes, mm. including people like Shaka, who you wouldn't necessarily anticipate, up into the box. And I think that's going to be really key for us you know just because kind of law of averages and you know getting the numbers in there I think it's going to be really important because we're not we're not blessed with an elite 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 goal scorer yeah at this point. that is true that is true okay um you're over to you hey, bu- 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 okay we've got a couple of questions about um refereeing oh, which I good. think are worth talking about to be honest he said uh, this is from Benzai Ohio on the Discord. He says, after watching McTominay rampage across the pitch today, committing multiple fouls uh, of being yellow straight red carded, can we feel a bit vindicated in saying that we're being victimized by the refs? Did you see that game yesterday? Did you see uh, some of I these McTominay fouls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit, there was a video doing the rounds where they, they have three of the fouls that McTominay committed. I mean, that first one that leaves the Leeds guy with his head split open, it's yeah. just, he didn't even get booked. I mean, it's it's like it's it should be very close to a red card in and of itself, and he didn't even get booked. Like, I can't believe what he got away with yesterday. And I only saw three of the six fouls that he committed yesterday. And this is what I was going back to about um, in the first half of the show, where where the decisions that go against us don't seem to go against other teams. Mm. Yeah, it was a crazy game, that, on a, a very sort of throwback, waterlogged pitch. Uh, and it felt like the referee initiated a kind of 90s rule set as well, um, specifically <laughs> I mean, for the game. Yeah. I mean, when you see Martinelli get two yellow cards in three seconds for like two, you know, pretty much nothing fouls, routine fouls, to uh, to see somebody go studs up and knees up and elbows up and shoulders into faces and all that kind of stuff and, and just get a yellow, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I understand why people are going fucking mad. So do I. I don't. I don't know what to tell people though. I don't know how to yeah. address it really. Um, you know, it does feel like we are punished in the most severe fashion, um, and that there's no leniency uh, mm. when it comes to Arsenal. And it's. I mean, Mikel Arteta's got this big meeting coming up, hasn't he? I mean, 
Lord only knows what he's going to say at that. Uh, I just hope it makes it better rather than worse. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, it's making me exhausted. Just genuinely tired every time I see the referee and the decision and the VAR and all of it. It just makes me tired. Because yeah. like you, I don't know how to explain it or to rationalize it or, you know, to to come to terms with it even. I don't know. I don't know. And like, and like, like I've said I've met on here many times, it doesn't, uh, it's something I sort of manage to mostly stay out of yeah. because it doesn't uh, emotionally affect me very much. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think clearly there are some, some patterns around the way that Arsenal are perceived that I think affect how they're officiated. Yeah. I think, and I don't think that is sort of crazy conspiracy stuff to suggest that. I think that's human nature, you know, that's psychology. And yeah. I think we're seeing that borne out a bit. Um, the problem is something like that perception it takes a long time to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. A very long time. Um, Jamie Murphy, I had a few questions about this. Morning both. What did you make of Thierry Henry's comments last week about not making the top four being a failure? Do you agree? I mean, I suppose when you're in the position that we're in um, and we have it in our hands and you want to set standards and you want to make progress, I suppose you could look at it as a failure if we don't get there. But I get it all depends on how it happens and what the gap is and, and how well we do in these in these games. I do worry a little bit about the idea that even if we don't get top four, the season has been some kind of a disaster. I'm not sure I would go there, to be honest, because look, we've got 15 games to go and, and how we feel about things can change dramatically in one game, let alone 15, right? Mm -hmm. But I've seen things I like. I've seen progress. I've seen um, encouraging signs when it comes to the kind of football that we play. Uh, I, I go back to the summer and I like the fact that this now feels like an Arsenal team with a strategy, um, with a plan that someone's actually sat down and thought about where we need to go and how we need to get there and what way we're going to do it, the the useful element of this team and all that. So I, I don't really see it as quite that binary, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, your your objectives and your expectations during the course of a season can change and will change and should change based on have what changed. happens. Yeah, they have changed. I think if we, if we talked at the start of the season and said, would top six be a good measure of Arsenal's progress this season, you know, at the start of the season, I think most people would have said, yeah. When you look at what was ahead of us and you look at, you know, who we're competing against and the money that they've had, and I know we spent money ourselves. But here we are with 15 games to go and games in hand. It's It's in our hands, so to speak. So... The expectation of top four is now a realistic one. Well, expectation, the, the potential of top four is a realistic one. So that then sets the, the, the bar for what you think is good or not good about the season, you know? 
Um, mm-hmm. So I get it. I think, you know, I'll be disappointed if we don't get into the into the top four. Because we have this, I think we have a, a chance. We have an opportunity. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want to go over January again. I, I do worry and have worried out loud that we haven't necessarily made the most of that opportunity um, in the transfer market. But there's not much we can do about that now. Um, but look, it, it just depends on on how these 15 games go. If we play well and we end up missing by a couple of points because you know, another team has a freak like Ronaldo who can score goals that win games at clutch moments, the kind of player that we don't really have, then nope. then can we be disappointed, of course, but is it a failure? I don't think so. Yeah, I, th- I think, um, listen, I, I think we all understand Thierry Henry's got the highest standards. Look at what he achieved in his career and what he achieved at Arsenal. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that he would use that language. Um, and I think if you want to be binary about it, yeah, it is a failure. You know, if that's the aim, and that definitely is the aim at this point because we're in the race and we don't make it, that's a failure. But I think that if you're a serious organisation, you have to have um, a more flexible assessment of progress. And I think it's possible that Arsenal can fail to make the top four, but still... uh, have a season of significant progress um it's you could only really that could only really come out in the wash though you know yeah. when you really sort of assess things properly um i i don't think it has to be this kind of split thing between glory or disaster i think it's almost too tight for that to be the case it's sort of you know arsenal could miss out on goal difference here and what does that mean you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I was interested by this question and I have seen it posited elsewhere. Dugsy on Twitter said, do you think top four is too soon for this group? Objectively, we need to take the opportunity to build, but is there a risk it will damage or change the process? In inverted commas. No, because I... I, I don't think you're in full control of progress, if that makes sense. Well, it's rarely linear. Exactly. And it's rarely like if yeah, you can plan. Exactly. Yeah. If you were to say, you know what, even if you miss out on top four this year, next year you're going to make it, and the players are going to be more mature, and they're going to be more developed, and you'll be in better shape, and the squad might be bigger, and blah blah blah. You can't make that kind of assurance. So I think part and parcel of making progress is is dealing with what you do and what you achieve. So I don't worry about it being too soon. I can understand why people might say, mm, you know, is this going to be is this going to be okay? You know, when you look at the level of Champions League football, something we haven't had for 5 years and it'll be 6 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. By the time we get back into it, if we get back into it, you know, it is it is um something that you do need to get used to. You know, and you do need to be prepared for the level to step up and to the quality of the opposition and the experience that they have at Champions League level and all that kind of stuff. But if the opportunity comes along and you're in the top four and it allows you to um, build your squad based on that, then I think that's something you just have to run with. The other thing is that maybe it's a great thing for these young players to get up to that level and to make progress. Mm-hmm. Like, 
with all due respect to the Europa League, and if we're in it next season, I hope we go for it and I hope we win it, but it's only when you get to the latter stages that you're really tested. You're not going to be tested by the group stages. So it's how you how you perform against better opposition that really tells you about a player and about a team and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't have any I don't have any worries about that stuff. If we get top four this season, brilliant. Let's deal with it. Um, but I don't want to like say no, we shouldn't get it this season or make excuses for for not getting it this season. I know that's not the question, but you know, I think we you just have to be prepared to take that step when it happens. Yeah, I think we all want it, don't we? Whether or not we think it's um the planned time or not. Yeah. It's like a job you get offered that you suspect you're not quite qualified for. Um, but you know that it's a great opportunity and you kind of will make it work and find out, figure it out on the job, you know? Yeah. Um, and been many times in my life that I've had to do something like that. <laughs> Claim I know, yeah, yeah, oh, no, I know how to use Excel. And then, you know, <laughs> just make it up as I go along. Um, and I do think that it would be tricky. I think there would be challenges I think, you know, if you look at the depth of our squad, it, it's nowhere near able to sustain a challenge on Champions League and Premier League fronts. I think that um, it would, it would, it would, it's, it's weird, you know, getting in the Champions League is one thing, staying in it is another. Yeah. And I think staying in it would be a huge challenge when you consider you'd also have the Champions League competition itself to contend with. Um Arsenal would have to make up a lot of ground very quickly to hold on to that spot. And I guess that's where we'd really see that idea of linear progress being tested. You know, would it be a case of one step forward, one step back? I don't I don't know. Yeah. I can imagine that being very taxing. But I think even in that scenario, the revenue that even a season of Champions League football brings you is so valuable. Um and changes the perception of the club so dramatically. Whenever that opportunity comes along, you've got to take it. So, mm. in answer to the question, it would be a little bit early. There would be challenges that come with that. We still would have to absolutely welcome it. Yeah, you know, I think so. It would be huge. I think so. Okay, let's uh, do one more here from Connor, who's on the Discord. Uh, goodly morning, gents. After Odegaard's continued excellent form in recent months, do you think he's our most important player? He dictates the tempo of our attack, but we don't really have a like-for-like -like replacement for him with Emil Smith-Rowe, more of a finisher than a true number 10. Therefore, should we be looking for an Odegaard backup in the summer? Mm, I, I do think they're quite different players. Yeah, um, agree. And, you know, there was so much hand-wringing from certain people in the media about, you know, how are they going to play together? And, you know, is it going to ruin Smith-Rowe's career? That Arsenal signed Odegaard. I, I really think that, um, you know, they, they dovetail very well. I think Smith-Rowe is a very different kind of number 10, even when he plays in that same area. Do Arsenal, is Odegaard our most important player? I don't know if I'd go that far, but he's he's very important. And I thought he was, you know, we've spoken about his kind of finishing and his final decision making. And maybe that's overlooked a little bit mm. how good he was for most aspects of his game on Saturday. He really was, you know, excellent. And his combination play with Saka is really promising. You know, he, Odegaard has made along with Saka and Tommy Asu, that right-hand side um, 
so much better. So much better yes. than it's been for a long time. I agree. Um, I don't know if... Do we need another one? <laughs> I mean, I think we could do with another kind of uh, creative player in the midfield. Maybe someone who could play where Odegaard plays and maybe where Shaka's currently playing. Mm. Give you that sort of flexibility. I do think this is an Arsenal team that could do with very technical, skillful passers from midfield, maybe a guy with a goal in him. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a case of needing an Odegaard replacement or backup, but another player of that calibre who can operate in similar part of the pitch, maybe do a little bit on the left-hand side what Odegaard does on the right. Sure, mm. I'd love that. Yeah, I don't think you can go out and sign another another kind of classic... 10 style player like Odegaard but I mean even then I don't think he's just just a 10 you know what I mean we, we've we seen him operate as a a number 8 in many ways in terms of how he plays and how he links with uh, that right hand side um, the connection with Partey but also the connection with Saka and, and Tommy Asu as you mentioned so yeah just I, I would absolutely love another attacking midfielder in the squad you know, the days yeah. when we had Fabregas, Kleb, Rosicki. Um, I'm sure there's someone else I've forgotten as well. Um, uh, Sandy Cazorla, those kind of players where there's a level of versatility to where they operate and mm-hmm. how they can operate. I think that is probably the way to go. And if we're looking at a season next season when when we do have Europe, hopefully of some description or another, um, you're going to need somebody like that to, to ease the burden and to play some of the minutes. So I'm pretty sure that is something that is is on the on the shopping list, if you like. Yeah, another one of those sort of Manchester City types. You know, are they yeah. playing central midfield? Are they playing off the left? Are they playing false nine? They could kind of do it all. That'd be nice. Yeah, would be. Um, would be. What about this, Ali? Okay. Ali Gunner says, goodly morning, gents. Do you think we've been unduly critical of Cedric as a backup right back? (laughs) When his crossing is miles ahead of Bellerin, he's faster than Chambers, and he doesn't have a bad link-up with Pepe. Um, His crossing... I mean, if we had someone who could head the ball, we probably would have won the Brentford game about 5-0. He had 16 crosses. We send this 90 minutes to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, as a kind of overture. I mean, the other thing, yeah. His mind would be made up pretty quickly. The only thing I would say is that, like, when you know you don't have an aerial presence in the opposition penalty box and you throw in 16 crosses in one game, (laughs) I just wonder about, um, you know, could you have a little more about your play? But I thought he was good. I thought he was good, to be honest, against Brentford. I thought he was good against Wolves. I thought he overlapped really well against Brentford at times too. Um, and some of those crosses were cutbacks in fairness. And that, uh, presumably corners factor into that as well because he took a lot of corners. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Surely, I, I would no, imagine. Surely crosses... Really? Would corners be classified? As, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to... Honest. Yeah. I'd have to watch the game again. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, he was good in the last two games. Um, I'm glad that he was good in the last two games, but I was also very glad to see Tommy Asu back on the bench. And I think Tommy Asu will start on, on Thursday. Um, and hopefully Tommy Asu will 
um, will start the rem- well the remainder, but the majority of the games that we have between now and the end of the season, because I just think he brings that team such balance um, defensively and offensively as well. So maybe I will hold my hands up and say I've been a bit harsh at times. And uh, I acknowledge the fact that he was good in the last two games, but in the big games, you know, when we're playing Chelsea, when we're playing United, Liverpool, Tottenham, give me Tommy Asu. Give me oh, Tommy yeah. Asu every day of the week. For sure, um, for sure. And if, you know, Cedric has got some minutes against some teams where we've got the ability to control, then all well and good. But I want I th- Tommy Asu back in this team. I think um, one of the things I found so interesting is watching that little clip that Arsenal put out of Tommy Asu doing his comeback training. He was just going through some sort of sprint drills with, I think his name's Sam Wilson, one of the fitness guys mm. at Arsenal. But even in those, I found it telling that so much of the work he was doing was with his wrong foot, with his left foot. Like It yeah. was just a little drill, but there was a lot of like, pass it with your right, then I knock it around the corner and you, he comes around and passes it with his left. Yeah. And I do think that two-footedness has been so important to him in that position and to Arsenal's success in that position. And when you think about Cedric, as opposed to some of the other candidates there have been for the right-back spot, it occurred to me the other day, I think I was at the Wolves match, that actually that's an area where he is closer to Tommy Asu than some of the others. Like, he can come inside and play a pass off his left foot in a way that Chambers and Bellerin didn't really um and i wonder if that's maybe what's given him that durability to, to survive in in the squad really um because arteta really values that i think it's really key to how we escape the press in those yeah. areas yeah. So maybe that's counted in his favor maybe so maybe so all right well look we've got a, a big game on thursday as we said we'll preview it over on patreon um, if you want to sign up there, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash Arsbog. We will preview that game for you on Wednesday, midweek podcast. Uh, we won't be doing an Arscast Extra on Friday because you are um, up to your eyes with uh, the shows. We'll be on stage during, yeah. the show, during the game. Yeah, exactly. So we will uh, we'll organize something else for Friday morning. Uh, but for now, we'll leave it there for you guys. Thank you very much, as always, for being here and for listening and for subscribing and all of that. James, did you enjoy it? Did you have the uh, time of your life? I had the time of my... I won't do it anymore. No, don't. I won't do it anymore. We will catch you on the next one, folks. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Had the time of my life. No, I never felt this way before. Never felt Yes, I swear. It's the truth. And I hope it will be good.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.